Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ, Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That was good and short. I uh, I uh, won't I won't tell your wife about your comments this morning, but that's that's okay. She's watching live on Facebook. <laughs> Just don't. <laughs> Uh, church family, I hope that you had a good holiday. I hope that you had a good New Year celebration. Uh, here's to 2021. Cheers. Out with uh, out with the old and in with the new. Uh, just every New Year, I'm reminded that God is He's renewing all things. He's in the business of making all things new. That includes that includes us. And every New Year, I I think about that. I reflect on that. And this morning, we begin. Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church. Before we dive into these three verses, this short introduction, let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for everything you do. And I want to thank you for, for who you are. I want to thank you for being so willing to meet us here in this place. And Lord, as we begin a, a new year as a local church, I want to pray that you give us fresh vision. That you help us to, to wrestle with who you are and the work that you are doing in a way that is uplifting and beneficial. God, that we, none of us, get stuck in our ways. Lord, that we not forget what it means to be the church rather than merely do church. And this morning, as we come to this text of Scripture, help us just to understand what the church is. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and minds that understand what you have to say. And Lord, through the proclamation of your word, please, please, please continue to renew our hearts, to sanctify us, to conform us to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. And that is why we are here together. We love you. We love you. We love you. And in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, I absolutely love my wife. There would be a problem if I didn't absolutely love my, <laughs> my wife. Uh, my wife is amazing. Um, in 2012, really before that, but 2012 is when we... We sealed the deal. We got married, right? We got hitched. But even before that, I, I chose my wife to be my bride. Um, I saw her faults. 
I saw her imperfections, and I have seen more of my wife's imperfections over the years. But I chose her to be my bride. She's seen more of my imperfections than I've seen of hers, by the way. (laughs) I chose her to be my bride. I, I chose to set one woman, out of all the women in the world, one woman, I chose to set her apart as holy in my eyes. One woman all my days forever. I set her apart as holy. There is no other. And I I chose to see her as holy. Despite whatever imperfections in my eyes, my bride is perfect. Complete. And if anyone, if anyone ever badmouths my wife... I, be, I have the desire to, but I also believe I have the responsibility as a husband to respectfully punch that person in the face and knock out that person's teeth. And I believe, I believe God feels the same way about His bride, His church. One of the most memorable conversations I had last year was... Um, with a very intelligent man who claimed to love Christ, claimed to be a Christian. But when he talked about the church, it was all, all condemnation, nothing good to say about, about the church, the equivalent of slinging mud on the bride of, of Christ. And I think back to my own life and my own experiences. And when I was a a new believer and an immature believer, an immature Christian, I I did the same thing. This is one of the imperfections that my wife noticed in me. I would sit in church and a preacher would be preaching. And my focus was on what the person preaching was saying wrong rather than gleaning from the word of God through a, a, a person God had chosen to present God's word. And that was the equivalent of slinging mud on the bride of, of Christ. And so understand when I, when I say this morning that maybe we don't quite understand what the church is and we need this letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians um, I'm, I'm speaking as, as a person who, early in my Christian life and early in my ministry, I was the person who was slinging mud on Christ's bride, the church. And God dealt with me in a very heart-wrenching sort of way, as I think He does all of His true children. But I think God feels the same way about the church as... Well, in a more perfect way as I do about my own bride, my own wife, holy, holy in His sight and set apart for His purposes. And we're going to see this idea presented in in this text. I want to ask a couple questions about the church five, actually. It's more than a couple. Uh, Maybe you're familiar with these types of questions. Who, what, when, where, why? And... Who, what, when, where, why, how? Oh, there are six of those, aren't there? All right, yeah, and we will answer all six of these questions about the church. 
Who is the church? What, what purpose does the church have? When is the church? Where is the church? Why is the church? And how is the church? We're going to see all of these questions answered in these three verses. Paul begins his letter to the church at Corinth, a a letter that he wrote from Ephesus during his third missionary journey. He wrote this book in 53 or 54 or 55 AD. Um, He Paul planted the church in Corinth uh, on his missionary journey. He, he planted the church in, in Corinth. He, he planted the church in Corinth in the home of Titius Justus. We can read about this in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. And Paul's partners, when he planted the church in Corinth, were Aquila and Priscilla. They all worked together, planted this church, got it up and going. And Paul pastored the church at Corinth for a year and a half before departing and continuing his missionary journey. Corinth was a cosmopolitan trade city, thriving. The latest, the latest styles, the latest technologies, the latest social and technological advancements. Uh, we would think of Corinth maybe like a New York City or a Los Angeles today in the United States. And since Paul left, since he said, okay, I am passing the pastoral role to someone else, to the elders now of the church at Corinth and moving on my missionary journeys, uh, the church from that point forgot what it meant to be the church. And the people, the people were still meeting. The people were still gathering. They were still having church, or what they assumed was something church-like and spiritual and religious. But the believers in Corinth forgot what it meant to really be the church in the Corinthian community. The key themes of this book, Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, are loyalty and worship and we will keep those things in mind as we move move through the text and maybe re rediscover what it means for us to be the church here in our own community here in here in Pierce Sunsides Arizona here in the Sulphur Springs Valley here in Cochise County here in the state of Arizona here in the United States and here on <clears throat> on planet earth and if there is any intelligent life out there <laughs> here here in the universe first corinthians chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 paul's introduction paul called as an apostle of jesus christ by the will of god and sosthenes our brother there are a couple things we see here in verse 1 first We see Paul identify himself. Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Paul is the primary author of the book of Corinthians, of this letter to the Corinthians. And and Sosthenes, he adds, as a co-author to this text, even though we know that the message comes primarily from Paul. Paul felt it necessary to include Sosthenes, our brother, in his introduction. Paul is called as an apostle. Apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. 
Do you know what it means for anyone to be called as an apostle? What the word apostle means, or or what the office of apostle meant in the first century in the New Testament. Apostle is, is a Greek word that simply means missionary. So in a general sense, when we see the word apostle, we can say apostle, oh, that means missionary. Paul is a missionary. Paul is on a missionary journey. But this word also came to define an office, someone who saw Jesus in the flesh, saw Jesus resurrected, and was called by Jesus to reach a certain group of people. It's still a missionary, but now it's been made into an office. And, and the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples, the Jewish disciples of, of Jesus Christ, excluding Paul, they are called apostles because they are God's chosen missionaries to the, to the Jews. And they saw Jesus resurrected. And Paul is God's chosen missionary to the Gentiles, and he saw the, the risen Lord on the road to Damascus. This is the, the great um, conversion story of the Apostle Paul. So when we think about apostles, there are two definitions. Apostle meaning generically a missionary, or apostle, someone who fills this office. And this office was only able to be filled by those who met in person the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus' very first missionaries, uh, the ones who basically jump-started the church movement, the church revolution. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, did much of that work, planting most of the New Testament churches we see described in Scripture and advancing the gospel around the whole world. Paul, called as an apostle, not just any apostle, not just any sort of missionary proclaiming any sort of message, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul wants his audience to know, he wants the church at Corinth to know, I work for Jesus. I am on Christ's mission. I am advancing Christ's message. And that message is the message we still advance today, every Sunday morning and through every Bible study we have, and as we evangelize and share the gospel in our own lives. In a sense, brothers and sisters, we are all missionaries of Jesus Christ, advancing His mission, His message, His work. May that be our priority this morning. Paul is not an apostle by his own will. If you remember the story, Paul, he was persecuting Christians. He was authorizing the the killing of Christians. And he believed he was serving God by doing that. And in Acts chapter 9, on the road to Damascus, we we see the story unfold where, where Jesus Christ knocks Paul on his rear and asks Paul why Paul is persecuting him personally. And tell me how Jesus Christ feels about his bride. Paul is converted. He believes in Jesus. And he begins sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, even though it cost him everything, including his religious and political status in the Jewish community. By the will of God. Here we learn something very important about the church of Jesus Christ. There are 
three offices in the church. These aren't organizational offices. These aren't offices that people have invented. These, these are offices given to us in, in Scripture. And normally we think of the two we call the major offices. They're not, they're not more important than the third. But the two major offices we normally think about are the offices of elder and deacon. And the third office is the office of the church Member, someone who covenants with a local church for the purpose of the work of the gospel and, and building up building up the saints. And, and we are all one body serving together, not like elders have have any authority that isn't actually servanthood to the body, and not like deacons have any authority that isn't just servant servanthood to the body and acts of service and and not like church members have any authority that isn't also servanthood to the body. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, we see Paul call the elders of Ephesus to him, and he's talking to the elders at Ephesus, and he refers to them as elders chosen by the Holy Spirit, called by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who calls elders to their to their offices. Well, local churches affirm that, right? If, if a church is congregational like ours, then the church affirms, tries to discern the will of God by the power of the Holy Spirit and the leadership of the Holy Spirit and seeks to affirm elders according to the will and the desire of the Holy Spirit. As an elder, I do not have the right to say, I will serve as an elder, and I will do it at this church at this time. That's not, that's not a right we have. That's not a liberty that God gives us. Elders are, are called by the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 6, verse, verse 3, we, we see that deacons are, are affirmed by the church, uh, chosen by the elders there, affirmed by the church, and they are to be people full of the Holy Spirit. Like, if you're not full of the Holy Spirit, that's the first qualification for a deacon. Like, it's to be, it's to be people full of the Holy Spirit. And then in John 3 and Ephesians 2, we see that every church member, every Christian, is called to salvation by the will of the Holy Spirit. And we think all the way back to Matthew chapter 18, where, where Jesus is talking with Peter, and he says, Peter, you, you're the rock. And upon this rock I will I will build my church. We realize the, the building of the church is entirely it's God's work. And too many times people take it upon themselves to try to to build the church of God or try to become something that the Holy Spirit hasn't chosen them to to become. Here we see this is all God's work. On January 14th, we'll have our annual annual church business meeting. Can we call it a family meeting? Is that okay? I don't like the, like the business language. Oh, we'll take care of some business, right? We'll have our annual family meeting, and the church will, will come together, and myself and Albert and Steve, we're, we're up for reaffirmation. Oh, that's a scary thing, right? Like the church, we give the church body authority to say, yes, we want to continue to affirm this person as, as an elder of the church or as a deacon of the church, and it happens every three years, Right? When we are voting together, when we are practicing our, our congregational government, we remember that this, this isn't about my preferences. This isn't about me 
selecting for myself teachers who will tickle my ears. Oh, no, that's dangerous. Read about that in 2 Timothy. It's, it's about the body of Christ, the kingdom of priests, all of us together, this third office, church membership, discerning the will of God and affirming what we believe the Holy Spirit is, is doing. Every time we vote as a church, that's what we are doing. And I've seen churches get so petty about, about voting. But church family, we recognize this is about the will of God. Not about the will of Andrew Cannon. Not about the will of, of Albert Kester. Not about the will of, of any of our deacons. Not about the will of elders who are are currently in training or who desire to be elders. Not about the will of any single church member. We want to be a people led and empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit. That is where we find unity. If I, if I define unity as you agree with me, there will never be unity. Unity is unity by the Holy Spirit. This is the first thing we, we learn about the church. Like it's, it's all built by Christ, empowered and dwelt by the Holy Spirit as a community of faith. What a powerful realization to make. And Sosthenes, our brother. Now Sosthenes, he, you know... Uh, the church at Corinth, they're not cool with Paul at this point. Paul is writing this letter to correct their doctrine. He's writing this letter to correct their practice. Now, that's not going to be received very well, is it? What if somebody wrote this church a letter and said, Hey, you're doing everything wrong. Here's what you need to fix. And like, it was this letter this long, you know? And would, you, would you think that we would read it publicly and say, Okay, church, here's what that guy over there says about what we're doing here. And would you think that we would take that advice very seriously at all in a, in a North American you know, context. Um, most likely not. Uh, I don't. I don't see that really going over well in most most American churches. Now you can read in in chapter four, verses one through five, and chapter nine, verses one through twenty three that the church at Corinth uh, they do not respect Paul at this point. They don't respect him as the apostle to the Gentiles. They don't respect him as their former pastor. They don't respect him as the man who founded the church. They do not want to hear from Paul. And when we read through the book of Acts, when we read Acts chapter 18, we see that Sosthenes, he's, he's a Corinthian. He's from Corinth. Sosthenes was a leader in the synagogue there at Corinth. He was one of those who participated in the persecution against Paul when Paul was trying to plant this, this church. Paul started speaking in the synagogue, and they drove him out of the synagogue, so he started preaching in someone's house. <laughs> Titius Justice, and this church was planted in the house of Titius Justice. And Sosthenes, he was one of the persecutors. Then the people of the synagogue turned against Sosthenes, too, for whatever reason. And now Sosthenes is with Paul. Just like Paul is saying, I know you don't like me. Sosthenes is here with me. A respected member of the Corinthian community. Someone from your own ranks. I know I'm not from Corinth, 
but he is. If you're not going to read this letter and listen to my advice because of who I am and who God has chosen me to be, read and listen because of Sosthenes, our brother, who is with me. He approves this letter. (laughs) Approved by Sosthenes. (laughs) He, He approves. He approves of this message. I am Sosthenes and I approve this. You know, that's sort of the sort of the air we get here. Sosthenes, our brother, maybe the Corinthians will listen. Maybe they will pay attention if Sosthenes' name is written here. Verse 2. To the church of God, which is at Corinth. What do you think a church is? Let me hear from you. Shout it out. What is a church? A body of believers. Okay. Any other answers? What is what is the church? What is a church? Hands and feet of Christ, okay? Any others? Christ's bride. The people of God, believers worldwide. A church is a word, and I have it behind me, so we're reminded about this every Sunday. Can anyone pronounce this? Oh, good guess, good guess. Ecclesia. Ecclesia. And the word ecclesia in Greek literally translates to assembly, congregation. When we say church, when we talk about the church, the first thing we we notice is that the church is an assembly. It's a congregation because that's literally what the word means, assembly, congregation. This is the same word that would have been used to to describe the Jewish synagogue and the assembly of people in the temple complex. Paul is just, he's using this term that was used to refer to synagogue, and now he's applying it to the Christian church. Like, this is something that continues in the church. The church isn't this revolutionary, brand new sort of thing. No, God established his church prior to the coming of Jesus Christ in the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel, the congregation of Israel, we'll see it that way in the Old Testament, was was his church. And now the church continues in a New Testament sort of fashion where, no, we don't come to the altar and offer literal sacrifices anymore because that's been done. Jesus was our last sacrifice. But still, this is the assembly of God, the gathering of of Christ, of people in Christ's name. That's what assembly means. And there are two ways the church is assembled. The first way the church is assembled is universal. And this is, where, this is where the Roman Catholic Church got, got the word Catholic. So this is the Catholic Church. This is the universal church. And we do, since the, since the church existing in a universal way, all of the body of believers, all of those in Christ around the world gathered spiritually. Well, it's not one denomination or another. Listen, as Baptists, we're not the only ones getting to heaven. <laughs> I promise. But the church is the gathering of God's people worldwide, gathered in a spiritual sense. When we think about the universal church, we also make this realization that when I am away from a literal, physical gathering of believers as part of the spiritual assembly, my heart is always with my brothers and sisters in Christ because that's what it means to be part of the church, Christ's bride. 
the assembly. And Katie and I, we went on vacation this past week, and last Sunday we were out of town, and we took a break from traveling to be with the Bride of Christ in Memphis, Tennessee. Redeemer Baptist Fellowship. It was a great church. A church where I picked up this book. They had a little thing out there. It's sort of like a bookstore, except it's like an honor system where you take the book and leave your cash, you know, which is kind of cool. So I, I took the book and left my cash. And this book has actually been really good. I read this uh, while we were on vacation. Jonathan Lehman's uh, Don't Fire Your Church Members. <laughs> okay. Uh, the, the, huh. <laughs> you mean pastors do that? More than you know. But the whole book is about elder-led congregationalism and what it means for elders to serve as elders, what it means for deacons to serve as deacons, and what it means for church members to serve as church members. Um, If you're into reading that sort of thing, I highly recommend it. If if you want to understand more of the office of church member, which I imagine that's not a term many of us in here have heard, because it's not a popular it's not a popular way to think about church membership. But if you want to know more about the office of church member, pick this book up and read it. It is a phenomenal read, eye opening, and Lehman defends his position really, really well. Elder led congregationalism, which is what we are here. That's that's what this church is. So we're traveling, and we attended church. Why? And not because we had to. Because our hearts just overwhelmingly yearn to be with the saints. We are part of the spiritual gathering. There is no sense in which, if we are serious about the universal church and the gathering of, of believers spiritually, there's no way that can possibly translate into lone wolf Christianity. No way that can possibly translate into individualism or individualistic, yeah, that's my Jesus or I love Jesus, but I don't need the church. That sort of thinking. It's like you say church and automatically you're saying assembly, congregation. And Jesus Christ even said in Matthew 18, I am building my congregation, my assembly. And you can't find anything in Scripture that exalts this me-centered, individualistic sort of lone wolf Christianity. Uh, Christianity is the church. The church is a single assembly made up of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians together. And so many people want to separate those things out. No, Jesus has one church, one congregation, one assembly. We are with on the same team as our Messianic Jewish brothers and sisters. We're part of Christ's church, singular congregation, universal church. And then there is the local church. There's a universal church. And then there is the, the local church. Now, if the, the universal church is the whole body of Christ spiritually gathered, then the local church is... The, the local body of Christ, the local bride of Christ, gathered together in a physical location. And that's what the local church is. It, it is nearly impossible to be a part of the universal church 
without being a devoted, loyal. You hear that theme in here, right? Devoted, loyal member of a local congregation. Not, not merely attending church. You understand you're not going to benefit much if all you're doing is attending church. But being a devoted member of a local church, it's something, something different. Something a, a little more intense. Something that keeps us a little more accountable to God because we are we are under the, the watchful eyes of our <laughs> watchful not like domineering watchful but <laughs> like I care about you I love you sort of watchful let me check up on you you were on my you were on my you were on my heart this morning and I wanted to wanted to see how you're doing the care the watch care of our brothers and sisters in the faith in a way that provides some sort of accountability that's that's what the local church provides when we are members of the local church. And that's what the local church at Corinth is, or should be. Right? We want to understand a little bit more about what the, what the local church is. We can look to Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 41. If we, just thinking about what is the church? And this is after Peter's sermon at Pentecost, the the Holy Spirit. Do we get this theme throughout the New Testament? That the Holy Spirit came down, uh, enlivened people, rejuvenated people, regenerated their hearts, and they believed the gospel that they were hearing. And they asked Peter, what do we do in response to this message? And repent, be baptized, you and your households. That was Peter's answer. And then starting in verse 41, we... We catch a glimpse of the first local church. So then, those who had received Peter's word were baptized, and that day were added about 3,000 souls. God is still doing that worldwide, by the way. We don't see 3,000 souls added, you know, in a day to every congregation, but worldwide, thousands and thousands of people daily coming to Christ. He's overtaking the world. Verse 42 they were continually devoting themselves. So to be a local church has something to do with devotion, loyalty, commitment, resolve. To be a church member has something to do with devotion and loyalty, commitment and, and resolve. Uh, any church member, no one being excluded, right? Elders and deacons included in this To be a church member is not to have one foot out the door. It's to be devoted to to something. Devoted to what? Well, we see this in verse 42 as well. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the proclamation of Scripture, the gospel, the instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to... The fellowship, the fellowship of believers, the gathering together. Do we get this? There is no church without gathering. You can't go out in the woods and have church because you're by your, there's no gathering there. They were devoted to the fellowship, to one another. Why are we devoted to one another? Because we know what it means to put ourselves aside, or at least we're, we're seeking to know what it means to put ourselves aside and be devoted to one another. I'm devoted to my wife. I, I lift her up with my speech. I don't condemn her. 
If she does something or doesn't do something and my expectations are unmet, I, 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 I don't respond harshly. Why? Because I have chosen her to be holy in my sight, to build her up rather than tear her down. This is devotion to the fellowship of believers is, is a lot like that. I have covenanted with this body of believers. And if you are a church member here, like bona fide church member, you, you, are, you have covenanted with this body of believers. You, you have chosen this body of believers to be holy in your sight. And people are going to make mistakes and, and people are sometimes going to react in ways they shouldn't react. And, and I may react in ways that I, that I shouldn't react. But because we have covenanted together, we are devoted to the fellow. We are holy in one another's eyes. And there is nothing, nothing that you can say or do that would ever turn me against you or cause me to forsake you. That is the mentality we take up. Church membership is a, a serious sort of thing. I covenant with this body. Devote myself to the fellowship, to the gathering, to the assembly of believers. They also devoted themselves to the breaking of bread, Eucharizo, the Eucharist. They devoted themselves to observing communion as often as they met, breaking bread and drinking wine together to celebrate and memorialize, remember what Jesus had done. This is something that the local church is devoted to. It's hard to have church without receiving the means of, of grace. Starting, starting today, we are going to be observing this, this meal that is so important on a weekly basis. And we come together and we hear the preaching and we experience conviction and encouragement through, 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 the, through the preaching, through the proclamation of, of Christ's word, not our own. And we spend time in repentance, confession, confessing our sins before, before God, knowing that He is faithful and just to forgive our sins if we ask His forgiveness, if we are in Christ. And then we receive the, the body of Christ and, and, and the fruit of the vine, the means of grace. And then we hear... Your sins are forgiven because that is what Christ says to every believer. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and they devoted themselves to the prayers likely modeled after the disciples' prayer we see in Christ's Sermon on the Mount. That is what members of a local church who have covenanted together, that's what they're devoted to. Do you think most churches in America are devoted to the like really devoted to these things? Or do you think people are content to say, Oh, God understands if I don't prioritize him and the gathering with his body? And maybe this this hits a, a little close to home for us in this room. Me, who you, I, I used to teach youth. It, it's okay if you have a sports game, God will understand. I used to teach that to youth. But then we turn to Scripture, and the Scriptures are like, no, God desires our devotion and our loyalty to Him and to one another. Like, that doesn't happen apart from the assembly. And, and in America, we're so wrapped up in 
individualism that we come up with every excuse not to be with the body of believers. We come up with every excuse to to spend our time sleeping or it's too stressful to get the family ready in the morning and try and make it to church. Or I really have chores that have to get done, so God, I'm going to sacrifice what you've instructed us to do so I can get that done. Or I'm traveling right now and I can make better time if I just don't don't get to the gathering. Like We come up with excuses like that. And you know how God forgives? And he, he'll forgive again and again and again and again and again. But He desires our loyalty and devotion to Him and to one another. And if we're not with the bride, at least once a week, and we are living in sin against our God, who is building His congregation for His own glory. This is, this is to be a priority in the lives of those who are in Christ to the church of God, which is at Corinth. Paul is like, to that congregation there, remember you're a church. To those who have been, this, and this part of the verse just, just gets me, if I, if I tear up a little bit, just bear with me. To those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. The believers at Corinth, they don't like Paul. They've declared Paul public enemy number one, almost. (laughs) They don't want to listen to Paul. They don't want Paul to pour into them anymore. They're done with the Apostle Paul. And here, in, in his opening statement to the church at Corinth, he says, to the church of God which is at Corinth. So he still sees this community as a church, even though their doctrine is wrong, and even though their practice is wrong, and Paul's writing to them, having to correct them. He still identifies the church as a church. And he says to those there in that congregation who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, like he doesn't say, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites and a bunch of false Christians and false teachers and you're damned. He, he doesn't go there. Instead, he identifies them as people who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. And the word sanctified here in, in Christian theology has two meanings, right? So sanctified in one sense means the process of being conformed to the likeness of Christ, the process of growing into maturity, of being perfected as a, as a creature in Christ. And the second definition there is set apart as holy. And notice the past tense here. Those who have been sanctified. And we know right away this is no perfect church. The, the furthest thing from perfect. This, is, this, whole, this whole congregation is, is living in sin. The congregation in Corinth. Not the congregation in Sunsights. The congregation in Corinth. Living in sin. Yet, Paul writes, those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, those who have been set apart as holy, such that no matter what they do wrong, God has still chosen chosen the congregation to be His bride. No matter how they fail, 
no matter what teaching they're getting wrong, no matter what practice is going to rise, it's Christ's bride. And Paul doesn't address the bride of Christ with terms of condemnation. What a wretched crew you are. He, he still embraces them, even though they persecute him with terms of endearment, recognizing they are sanctified in Christ Jesus. And look how Paul continues here saints by calling, not saints by merit, not saints by doing everything the correct way, saints by calling, which means Paul's soteriology necessitates this. Once saved, always saved. That's the, that's, the, that's the perspective Paul is working from here. Like, if Christ has got you, He's got you, and it doesn't matter how bad you get. Church, Christ has set you apart as holy. He has sanctified you. And it's in Him that you are holy in the Father's eyes, and you are, are His bride. And He wishes to build you up. Now we read through the rest of this letter to, to the Corinthian believers. And Paul is, is building up the church, not tearing it down. Which means he's not just saying, once saved, always saved, now do whatever you want. No, there are a few chapters after chapter 1 here. This isn't the only sermon this morning. <laughs> it follows with the next passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians in this letter, which means, which means Paul, Paul's desires for the church to actually get better. So it's not merely this once saved, always saved, as if God is just preserving a people for himself. But, but he expects the church to actually persevere or, or be perseverance. The doctrine we refer to as the, the perseverance of the saints. Not only do we retain our salvation... But God actually desires us to pursue being made better, more complete. So we have been sanctified, and we are being sanctified. Sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the universal church. The local church only happens in the context of the universal church. There... Lord and ours. And Christ is the Lord of the universal church. And He is the singular Lord of every single local church. Whether those local churches are healthy or not. And we can trust Christ to be doing His work in all of those churches. Verse 3, grace to you. Are you hearing this? Do you see this in the text? Grace to you. Grace to you and, and peace from God, our Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Paul's not like, damn you. Grace to you. Let me extend grace to you. Look, you want to know how to extend grace? Have somebody persecuting you, and then still speak back to them and say, I love you. I care for you. Let me build you up even though you're trying to tear me down. That's grace. That's what Christ did on the cross. He, even though we were His enemies, He died for us. That is Christianity. Nothing less than that is, is helpful or beneficial. That's the Christian worldview. That's what the church is to be to the world. Even though you tear me down, let me build you up. Let me love you, care for you, show kindness to you. And we'll reason together as to 
as to the truth. But I am not going to stop being a Christian in order to persuade you of what I think. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord, Jesus Christ. There are three things this morning we recognize about the church, universal and local. But as we look through this letter to the church at Corinth, we'll primarily be talking about the local church because Paul's writing to a local church. A local church is is not an experience. Does that, does that make sense? It's not an experience. And too many times people make church about an experience, a spiritual experience. The local church is not an experience. It's a gathered body of believers, the bride of Christ, covenanted together to uplift one another, to build one another up, to encourage one another and stimulate one another on to love and good deeds. More and more as we see the day of Christ's return approaching. That's, that's what the local church is, not an experience. Number two, we are being built together into Christ's single assembly. Number three, we are part of Christ's assembly by His will. And we are an assembly devoted to apostles' teaching, the fellowship of believers, the prayers, and the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, according to Scripture. You may say, now wait a minute, I don't have to go to church to be saved. That's true. Yeah, I'll affirm that. Nobody has to go to church to be saved. But when we are born again by the Spirit, Christ conforms us to His will, to His own heart, and we can't stay away from the assembly of believers. So we don't have to go to church to be saved, but if we are saved, we will be with the Bride of Christ. We will be with the church. Somebody asked, you know, before we started this series, uh, I asked, you'll be reading 1 Corinthians, sending me any questions that you have. Please continue to do that. Please continue to send me questions as you're reading through the future passages uh, in 1 Corinthians. Uh, but somebody asked, what, what exactly are God's purposes for the church at Sunsites? Well, God's purpose for the church at Sunsites is it's the same as God's purpose for every local church. Glorify Christ. Expand Christ's kingdom. Covenant together. Exactly what we've been talking about. Covenant together for the sake of building one another. Be devoted to one another. Loyal to one another. The Spirit is thicker than blood. Christ didn't put it that way, but that's what He was getting at. The Spirit is thicker than blood. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, right here, we're going to be reminded about this every week because it's right here behind me. You can't miss it. I mean, unless you miss it, then you can miss it. This is the key verse in 1 Corinthians. And Paul writes to the church at Corinth, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you but that you be made complete. That's the purpose, that you be made complete. There's, there's a purpose statement for you. In the same mind 
and in the same judgment. Which mind and which judgment? Not our own, but that of Christ. Be unified. The mind and judgment of Christ. Not your own preferences. Not seeking after your own will. But trying to discern the will of God, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. And how do we discern the will of God? By understanding His Word, where He explains His will to us. Those five, I mean six questions about the local church. Let me take a minute and answer those. Who is the church? It is the gathering of those in Christ. On a universal level, spiritual gathering. And then the local gathering. The church is the gathered people. Christ. What? What is the church to be doing? It is to be made complete through the apostles' teaching, prayer, the fellowship, and the Eucharist. And it is to be advancing the kingdom through peace and forgiveness. When? Always. (laughs) There you go. Church isn't Sunday morning. Remember, it's not an experience. This is not the definition of of the church, a Sunday morning event. It is the gathered body of believers. We are spiritually gathered through the week. We are locally gathered at the least on Sunday morning. Where are we gathered? Well, we're always gathered spiritually. When we're apart, we always desire, man, wouldn't it be great to get the church together today? Yes. And as often as possible, locally. How is the church the church? Only by calling, not by merit, not by works, not because we are good enough, but only by calling because Christ has said, you are my bride. I choose you to be holy in my sight. And why is the church Because Christ is Lord, we are not.